Amen. Thanks, guys. Great singing today. Thanks for leading us in worship. <laughs> we appreciate it. Good morning. That was kind of underwhelming. I know some of you tried, but some of you just didn't have your heart in it. Good morning. Oh, see, that sounds so much better. All right, so we're going to pick up on the series, Truth About Living Backwards. We're in part three, and I'm going to start out with a little story. In 2016, we actually lived in Montana when this happened. In 2016, there were these two Canadian men, and they were traveling throughout kind of the, the northwest and the southwest United States, and they were going to national parks, and they were doing risky and illegal things. Uh, the one you may have heard about, the one that they got in the most trouble over, was they went to Yellowstone uh, National Park. And they went walking in the non-designated walking areas, like up close to the geysers, in the pools, along the edges of the pools, which is extremely dangerous because some of those places have very thin, brittle surfaces that you can fall through into water hot enough to kill you. So they didn't get caught, but they posted it to Facebook like the, you know, smart guys they were. They got caught. They got uh, prosecuted. Uh, they got in some trouble. In fact, I think, weren't they unallowed into the United States after that? I'm pretty sure they were kind of banned at the border. They weren't allowed to go to any national parks anymore. It is very dangerous because just a couple months after they did that, there was another incident where a, a son, I'm sorry, a brother and a sister were out hiking in the park. They were out of a designated area as well. And the brother fell into a pool and his sister couldn't get him out, and he boiled to death, basically. Died right in front of her. Um, it was dusk, and the, the National Park Service and the ranger said, you know, there isn't anything we can do for him tonight. We'll come back and, and get the body in the morning. They went back in the morning. All they could find was the hat. The, the caustic nature and the heat in the water had just basically cooked everything away to where they could only find a hat. So dangerous stuff these guys were into. They like to live on the edge. They like to push it to the limit. You got any limit pushers out there? Yeah, I know. I see one raising his hand. I knew you were going to raise your hand. I knew it. Be careful, limit pushers. Because it finally caught up to them last week. They were in Canada. They were hiking. They were out walking along the edge of a 100-foot waterfall just to see if they could do it. Two guys and another friend walking along the edge, and all three of them fell, and all three of them died. Can you imagine falling a 100-foot waterfall? It doesn't, the, the, the National Park Service or whatever corresponds to the National Park Service in Canada said the rocks at that waterfall were very slippery and very polished. Have you ever been to the river? You've seen polished rocks. They get really slippery. They get slimy. Not a smart idea. They were pushing it to the edge, trying to go over between one side and the other, and they, they did go over that was that. It's human nature to push it, isn't it? It's human nature to see what we can get away with. It's human nature to see how close we can get to danger. It reminds me of growing up. Um, I was named after my father's best friend. His name was Sean Patrick. I was named Sean Patrick after him. His son, first son, was also named Sean Patrick, so there were three of us. And we would go visit them. We lived about 200 miles apart. When we go visit, all the Shans would, you know, the, not the dad, but the, the two Shans, me and the son, we would just goof off and cut up. And they'd send us to bed at night. 
And about every 15 minutes, either my dad or Pat would come in and threaten us with an inch of our life. If I come in here one more time, knuckleheads, be quiet, go to sleep, right? Over and over. And they would push it. And you could kind of tell. Anybody ever been in that situation? You can tell when you can push it a little further, right? By the tone of voice. You could tell. The first couple times, it's like, ah, we're good. Then there was the one time, right? He would come in. And there was something different about the tone of voice, and you knew he meant to stop at that point. So you would stop, and you would go to sleep. You didn't want to get in trouble with Pat or with my dad. It's human nature to push it as far as we can. It's human nature to test the laws of physics. We love roller coasters in our, in our home. We're going to go to Cedar Point in August, and there's one of the rides that goes up 420 feet. It goes straight up 420 feet, straight down 420 feet. Me, we, we lived near Cedar Point for four years, I guess. We had season passes when we lived there. So we've been on a lot of the coasters. We went four or five years ago. Me, Abby, Karen, Rebecca, the four of us went on that. Lydia would not go. We're still trying to get her to go. But we're not going to shame her. She says, I'm not going. No, I'm not shaming you. It's okay if you don't want to go. It's all right. Top thrill dragster. It's going to be awesome. The four of us are going to do it. And she's going to go hide because she can't stand to watch. She's like, she has visions of the car going up to the top, and when it goes over, her family flying out of the car and falling 420 feet to their death. You know, it shoots you from zero to like 120 in just a couple seconds. Have you ever done it? It's an amazing ride. Straight up, straight down, and back to the station. The whole ride takes like 14 seconds. It's over. You wait in line for like two hours for a 14-second ride. Because you want that adrenaline. You want that rush. You want that I almost died feeling. Some of you are like, no, I don't want that feeling. <laughs> we want that. Almost die. I almost died at Cedar Point feeling, right? Because we want to test our parents. We want to test the law. We want to test. Dave, anybody ever test the law? Dick, when you guys were in the, yeah. They, people, they, they want to test it. They want to push it. Have you ever found yourself doing that with your spiritual life? So how, how close can I get? How far can I, can I push it with sin? And that's today's wrong question. That's the, the wrong question, the kind of the way we look at life sometimes. We ask this wrong question, how close can I get to sin? Have you ever done that? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my best to walk with the Lord. Well, may, that might not actually be true if you're trying to push it with sin, but you're telling yourself this. I'm doing my best, I'm, but there's this thing I want to do, and how close can I get to it? Can I, how, how, how much can I flirt with this thing that I want to do and still stay in, the, I have air quotes here, guys, God's good graces, right? How, how close can I get? If I go to Costco and I'm shopping and, and some cute girl walks by in yoga pants and I kind of glance over, was, was that sin? If I think about her later that evening... Does it then cross over? If I fantasize about her later that night, is, has, it, has it crossed over yet? I mean, th- there's illustration after illustration. How about drinking? If I have one drink after work, is that a problem? If I have two drinks, if I have four drinks, if I finish the whole six-pack, where's the, where's the line? Where does it cross over? What about work? Well, I get to keep my job if I put 80% into it. How, how much can I get by with at work? Can I do... and get to keep my job? Can I do 40% and get to keep my job? 
How about in the context of relationships? You're married or, or you're dating or one day you will be. Is a little harmless, again, air quotes, flirting at work, is that okay? How about if we go for drinks after work, is that okay? <laughs> How about if, I, if, if we send texts, is that, is that okay? I can't tell you how many times people have come to me as a pastor and asked this question. Do you think this thing that I want to do, and they name it, do you think this thing that I want to do is a sin? Can you show me in scripture where it says I should or I shouldn't do this thing? It's because we're, we're, we're living backwards. We're looking the wrong direction. We're asking the wrong question. How close can I get? You know, I think I'll probably be okay, but I'm going to go check with somebody who knows a little more. They've studied the Bible a little more. Man, they've been to school. They've been to seminary, whatever. They have a little more experience. I'm going to ask them just to double check and make sure that if this thing I do is going to displease God or not, if it's going to separate me from his love or something, you know, people just have all kinds of wild and crazy ideas. And they come to me and they say, hey, you know, this thing be okay, but it's the wrong question. Hebrews 10, 26 through 30 says this, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. This is a tough one. This is a rough passage. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge... It is mine to repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a rough passage. I like the beginning of it. If we deliberately keep on sinning, if we go into life, if we go into our day trying to to flirt with that thing, whatever it is, that desire, that thing we want to do, and it's dangerous to flirt with that stuff. I'm going to tell you, you're going to eventually give in. You know that's true. If you flirt with something long enough, you're going to give in. To shed a little little bit more light on this, take a look at at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Paul wrote this here. He says, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Have you ever been camping? This story reminds me about camping. Anybody? Okay, you've been camping. So you're clean, you're fresh, all your clothes smell good, you go camping, you camp two, three, four days, you have a campfire. What do you smell like afterwards? Smoke. And it gets to the point where, you, I don't know if it's, it's like this with you, but with me it's like I can't stand the way I smell anymore. You leave camping, you go home, 
you take off those clothes, you take a shower, then you go to put the clothes in the laundry and the clothes smell so bad. It's like, wow, it just smells like fire. It smells like these clothes have literally been sitting in the campfire. That's the point Paul's making here. He's speaking primarily to believers, those who have accepted the salvation freely given through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He's saying this, you may be saved, you may know because the blood of the Christ of Christ was spilled for you on the cross. You will be with him in heaven when you die. But what are you doing with the time you have now? Paul asks this question, how are you building on the foundation of your salvation in Christ? And will what you have built survive the day of the Lord when it comes? What Paul's saying here is that some of us, well, all of us are going to be tested. What we've done in this earth with our time, our resources, our abilities, our skills, our talents, all the things that we're given, that we're blessed with in this life. When, when the Lord saves us, he's like, okay, now you use your stuff for me. Why does he do that? It's because he made us. He's like, he can do that. I've saved you. I brought you back to me through Christ. Now you will live for me. And what we have done will be tested. Now, Paul's not saying our salvation will be tested. It's clear in this passage that it's, it's, it's secure and it's held by Christ. But what Paul is saying is some of us will end up arriving in heaven smelling like we've been camping. Literally, we'll arrive in heaven smelling like hell. That's what he's saying. Because what we have built, if it's shoddy, if it's crummy, if it's ours, <laughs> right? burns up. We heard a message on this. I can, I can never forget this guy. He would always say, wood, hay, stubble, burn it up. We just, that was his, he just kept saying that over and over in the message. We can arrive there in this fashion because we're asking the wrong question. How close can I get to sin? How much can I push it? How much can I flirt with it? We've been living backwards and we need to reframe the way we're looking at life. We need to take a new look at it and we need to ask a new question. And this is our new question. How close can I get to God? That's the right question. That's the question we should be asking. You should wake up in the morning and you should say to yourself, how close can I get to God today? Have you ever asked that question? Anybody you're like, you're like, I asked that question. I hope you do. I hope that some of you, when I read that, right at the moment you heard that question in your heart, you said, that is the right question. That's the question I should be asking. Why haven't I been asking that question? We need to wake up in the morning. We need to, we need to come to the Lord and ask this, this right question. Lord, how close can I get to you today? What do you want me to do today? How do you want to use me today? How do you want to move through me today? How do you want to use my skills and my talents and my abilities to, to honor you? How do you want to use me to, to draw people closer to yourself? Why haven't we been asking that question? It's interesting as a pastor, this is the question I rarely get asked. Rarely does somebody come to me. I mean, I think I should be getting phone calls and text messages and emails and people saying, hey, Pastor Sean, how can I get closer to God? 
How can I get, how, how can I get closer to God this week? But instead, and I'm not saying that's happened here yet, but people call or they'll text or they'll write and they'll say, hey, I've got this, this thing I want to do. <laughs> Where does it say in the Bible, like, I can't do that? It's the wrong question. Can you help me get closer to God? We ask this question because we've been asking the wrong question. There's a story about, it's a parable Jesus tells. Uh, he, he starts out by saying, the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells a story about a rich man who had immense wealth and he was going to go on a journey. And so he goes and he calls his servants to himself and three of his servants come and to one servant he gives five talents, which is an amount of money. He gives them five amounts of this, this amount of money. He gives five talents to him. To another servant, he gives two, and then to another one, he gives one. And it says in Scripture, he gives those men those amounts of money according to their skill level, according to their ability, according to, to what he sees in them and what he thinks they'll be able to do with it. And he sends them out, and then it says he goes on his journey. He goes away. Well, while he's gone, the man with five talents, a lot of us know this story, right? The man with the five talents immediately goes and puts the money to work. And out of it, he makes five more talents, so he ends up with ten. The man with two talents immediately goes like the man with five and puts his money to work as well. And out of it, he, he gains two more, so he ends up with four. What did the guy with the one talent, the one amount of money do? Do you guys remember what he did? He buried it. He put it in the ground, he buried it out of fear. So pause in the story. Are you burying any of your talents out of fear? And now we're going to switch from the word talents, money, to the word talents, skills, abilities, resources. Are you afraid to use anything you have, any skill, ability, talent, resource that you've been given for the Lord because you're afraid what somebody might say, what somebody might do, I might fail, I might not succeed, I might look foolish. Something was holding this guy back from serving his master fully. So he took what his master gave him and he buried it out of fear. So it says after some time, we don't know how long, the guy returns, the master, and he calls his servants to him to make an account of what happened while he was gone. And the three servants come to him and the first servant says, well, while you were gone, I took the five talents you gave me and I, I worked them and now I have 10 talents to return to. And he gives it to him and and the master looks at him and he says, what I think we all want to hear. Do you know that? You know what it is? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your master's happiness. Because he took what the master gave him and he utilized it in a way that gave the master glory and gave the master more than what he started with. So the second servant comes up. Likewise, he had four. He said, look what I've done, master. I took the two. I made four. I give it back to you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've done a great job. Come and enter your master's happiness. Then the last guy comes up. And he says, master, I was afraid. Does that ever sound like you? Again, kind of back to that. I was afraid. I knew you were a a harsh man. I knew that you, you were the kind of guy that harvests where you don't plant and you 
Um, you, 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 you reap where you haven't scattered. And I was afraid, so I buried that talent, that amount of money in the ground, and I waited for you to come back. Look, here I have it. It's all intact. Everything you gave me, here it is. It, just exactly as you left it. That's a reasonable I mean, if, if you think about it, from a man's perspective, remember the verse we read last week? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I mean, from a man's reasoning, it's like, well, I didn't lose the money, right? I give it back to you. Here it is. The master was not pleased. He was not pleased at all. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Ooh, do you want to hear that when you get to heaven? Do we want to hear that? Smelling like we just walked through fire to get there because what we did and invested in in this life was burned up. You lazy and wicked servant. He tells the other servants there, the underservants, he says, take that money from that man and give it to the one who has ten. Because whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. And he says, but those who do not have, even what they do have, will be taken away from them and they'll have nothing. And then, if, as if that wasn't enough, he says, now have this guy thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that the kind of response? Is that the kind of welcome you want to heaven, right? You, you get to heaven smelling like hell and he's like, what have you done? You buried what I gave you. You squandered it. You wasted it. You used it for yourself. Or you didn't use it at all because you were afraid. You were fearful, so you buried it. You sat on it, and you didn't, you didn't do what I asked you to do with it. Or do you want to hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter your master's happiness. As you lay down every talent, ability, skill, a useful thing that God ever gave you that you turned into something more through following him and his will and you laid it at his feet and says, here's my offering to you, Lord. Everything you gave me, this is what I was able to do with it for you and for your glory. It puts a whole new spin on things, doesn't it? It puts a whole new spin on the way we look at our life. We look at, at our car or our house or our food or our bank account, our church building, our parking lot. Our neighbors, our skills at music or speaking or teaching or sports, it, it puts a whole new spin on all those things because it begins to, to direct us to ask the question, how can what I have be used for God's glory? How can I get closer to God with what I have instead of closer to sin Instead of just squandering the things, the resources and talents and skills and abilities God's given me on myself, on, on building up a kingdom for myself instead of building up a kingdom for God. Take a look at Matthew 6, 33. It gives us a, a beginning of a clue here on, on how to answer the question, how do I get close to God? The first thing it says here is, but seek first His kingdom. That's the first thing we should do. You want to know how to get closer to God? Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's take a look at that word seek. I love definitions. There's going to be a bunch of definitions in this message. Seek. Put that up there. Seek. To attempt to find something 
where is the responsibility in this passage? In, when, when the writer of Matthew says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, who's that responsibility fall on? You, me, right? It's, a personal, it's my personal responsibility as a Christ follower to seek God, to look for him. To, to try to find what he wants. When we get together, the, a couple of the guys we've been praying, Dave and, and Daniel, I've, we've gotten together a couple times and we prayed. When we were done praying, um, I think it surprised them the first time. I don't, I don't usually do this, but the Lord had spoken to me during the prayer. And I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I looked at Dave and Daniel. And I said, did the Lord tell you guys anything while we were praying? And they kind of were like, um, not necessarily. And I said, well, I heard the Lord speak. And I was like, this is unusual because I don't always hear the Lord speak when I pray. But he said something that day because we were seeking him. We were looking for him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you seek me and you will, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know what that means? That means full intent. That means full capacity. That means believing that when I go before the Lord to speak to him in prayer, when I go before the Lord and read his book that is live and and active, that he's going to speak back to me. And I expect, maybe not every time to hear something, but, but but I find it common that when we go to the Lord in prayer and we go to the Lord in his scripture, that he speaks something back to us. It may not be what we expect. May not even be something we like to hear. That happens, right? It says that the, the, the book, the word of God is, is useful in correction, right? That's one of the things it says in scripture. So we should expect sometimes when we read God's word, we're going to feel a little, a little uh, surgery, a little knife cut, a little needle prick when the Lord does some surgery to remove something from our attitude that he says, this is ungodly. You should stop living this way. That happens. But sometimes he also gives us direction and he gives us guidance and he says, hey, here's something I want you to hear or see or think about. And he brings something to your mind while you're praying like he did that day. And he brought something to, to my mind because we were attempting to find God. <laughs> we were attempting to, to, to seek him. The responsibility was on us to go before him and talk to him and say, Lord, here we are. We're seeking you. What do you have to say? What do we do today? What do we do next? Those are the kind of prayers we're going to continue to, and I'm going to ask you guys to join us in as we continue to go forward as a church, and and we continue to seek the Lord on how best to reach the community, how best to position the church to see new things happen. We're going to go to the Lord, and we're going to seek Him. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said we're going to pray and do what? Wait. Have you guys been praying? Have you been hearing anything? I asked the guys this week, do you guys hear anything? And they said, no. And I said, I guess we should keep waiting. We'll just keep praying, and we'll wait on the Lord. But he's not going to wait forever. He's in the business of getting our hearts straight, our minds straight, our attitudes straight. He's, he's reframing the way we look at life, preparing us to do the same as we impact other people's lives, as we help them to look and ask different questions about life. So how do we draw close to God? First, we seek him, but then... Uh, I. I know you guys heard out of James tons, but James speaks to this today. James 4, 7 through 8. He says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. 
Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, we don't like that word submit, do we? That's the first step. We want to be God's answer. Don't you want to be it's like, man, God picked me and I was the answer. Woo! Yay me. He used me, my skills, my talents, my ability. He did something great, but I get some credit. I get some pats on the back. Remember we talked about that in the last couple of weeks, deflecting God's glory back to God. If God says, hey, somebody says, hey, you did something good. He's like, no, God did something good. Tracy. Ah, so you're going to get a call out. A couple weeks ago, we had that message. Everybody kind of struggled after church that Sunday. Well, what do we say? I want to say you did a good job. But some people, some people said it anyway, like it was a joke. Hey, you did a good job. Ha ha. You know, it's like, because you knew you can't really say that. And then some people were just like, it was great being here today. And uh, it was really great. You know, it was like, I like, couldn't say great job, pastor, because I kind of deflected all that, right? Tracy caught me in the hallway. Do you remember what you said, Tracy? Tell us what you said. God really used you today. And I said, Tracy, you got it. <laughs> you nailed it. Because that gave God the glory, right? Not Sean, not me. I was usable. God was able to use me for us to grasp onto something bigger than me, bigger than my idea, bigger than my vision or your vision or our vision, but it was a, it was a God vision. But that starts in submission, and that word we don't like means to accept or yield to a superior force. That doesn't sit well with humans or Americans, right? We don't yield to a superior force. We're the superior force. Accept or yield to a superior force, a superior force, or to the authority or will of another person. So the first step in drawing close to God is seeking Him. When you seek him, you will find him. When you find him, you submit to him. Say, okay, Lord, I found you. I've heard you. When When we prayed together and the Lord spoke, and I said, guys, did he speak? And he's like, well, we didn't hear him, but what did he say to you? And I said, here's what he said. Well, what do we do now? We've got two choices. Submit or not submit, Right? The Lord might say some things in the weeks and months to come, and we're like, oh, I don't know, don't know if I like the way that sounds. I'm not sure I want to submit to that, Lord. That's a dangerous thing to say. We'll, we'll cover those when we get there. But the Lord says, now submit to this. Submit to my will. Submit to my authority. Submit to my direction, my guidance, and my love. These are active again. Remember, who, who does this rely on? You've been saved. God's called you. You're a child of God. He's placed his Holy Spirit in you. Uh, he's placed a seal on your heart. He's given you the right and the authority not to just be a creation of God, but now a child of God, as it says in the first chapter of John, because Christ is in you, right? But we have to submit with our own will. That's an active choice that we have to make. You have to decide that. I wish that was a one-time thing. You could just decide it. I'm going to submit my will to you, Lord, from now, from this moment, forever forward. Would anybody believe that if we said it? I mean, it's a nice sentiment, and, and we would love to be able to do that. But there are forces that battle within us, right? The new and the old, 
the good and the bad, the evil. And, and, and Satan's always there whispering and tempting us and, and trying to trip us up and trying to, to, to get us to, to, to rely on ourselves. Make a mistake. Become unusable for God. So we submit ourselves to God actively over and over and over and over. You've got to do that every day, maybe every hour, maybe every minute. I don't know. It's just going to depend where you are, how, what your walk's like, what situations you come into during the day, during the night, weeks, weekends, work, play, whatever it is. Submit. Okay, Lord, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to submit to your will. What's your will for this situation? Lord, speak to me. Show me what your will and your direction and your guidance is for this moment, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what submission looks like. You listen to the boss. The boss says, go straight, you go straight. Left, right, jump, whatever it is. You do what he says. Then, also actively at the same time as we're submitting to the Lord, we're resisting Satan. How hard is that? Because he comes at us pretty hard, doesn't he? He's coming at us with, with our weakness. Whatever our weakness is, you know what your weakness is. That's what he comes at you with. And he just throws it at you and he comes at you. And we have to resist. Resist means to exert oneself so as to counteract or defeat. To exert force in opposition. So you've got Satan wants to do something and you're resisting it. You know what happens? Uh, we've done a lot of, well, Rebecca's not here today. That's another story. But she and I did Taekwondo for three years. A lot of exercise, a lot of uh, different things we had to do. And resistance, if you've ever exercised, you know resistance is a really good thing in exercise, right? If something resists, that helps you to build muscle. That's why you, you lift weights. You're resi- the, the weights are being pulled down by gravity, so they're resisting being lifted. That's resistance. Helps build muscle. But you have to resist in order to build muscle, right? You have to resist in order to get better at running. <laughs> and that, you have to resist the temptation just to sit and watch TV, right? There's a lot of resistance involved in exercise. Resist the temptation just skip, you have to resist gravity as you lift your feet off the ground. You have to resist passing out as you are short of breath. You know, that's, I don't run because it doesn't work well for me. I ride a bike, that, that one works. Resistance is important for this reason because we counteract or we defeat the purposes of Satan by resisting it in the power of Christ. But resistance has this secondary, this, this secondary, I guess you could call it a benefit is that it builds strength in us. The more we resist Satan, the easier it becomes. Have you experienced that? The less you resist, you've re- I'm sure you've experienced the other. The less you resist, the easier it becomes. Habits become addictions. Addictions become debilitating. And you can't break them because you didn't resist. But if you never start something because you resisted at the beginning, it's a whole lot easier <laughs> to continue to resist it because your resistance is built up towards that. But if you give in a little here and a little there, that resistance starts to break down and you're less able to resist whatever it is, whatever scheme of Satan that he has up his sleeve to try to trick you and trip you up. 
So we seek the Lord, we submit to the Lord, we resist Satan, and as if seeking wasn't enough and, and submitting wasn't enough, it says to come near. Some versions say, draw near. Have you been spending time just drawing near? Just drawing near to the Lord, just taking time to draw near. I think that's when you can hear Him the best. I know, like we were, you know, some of you saw I was standing next to Kara during the songs, and she kind of leaned her head on my shoulder, and I put my arm around her, and that's what drawing near looks like. You actually have to get close to somebody to draw near, Right? It's, it's an action you have to undertake. Again, the responsibility for drawing near falls on you. You have to do it. Remember I said a couple weeks ago, um, if your relationship with God isn't what it once was, God wasn't the one that moved. You have to draw near again. You have to move to Him. He's waiting for you. He's called you. He loves you. He has or will save you. You can be His and you can walk with Him, but we have to, we have to draw near to Him, that, that definition to draw close to someone or something, just like uh, a child drawing close to a parent. They, they come close and they put, put their arm and lean their head on the shoulder. Have you ever thought about that in your interaction with God? It's like, hey, God, I just need to snuggle up. Maybe you've never thought about God that way. It's like, hey, God, we need to snuggle up. Maybe you need to say that next time. Maybe you need to think that. Maybe your approach to going before God has been... Because of background. I mean, I, I grew up Catholic. I get that. It was formal. I always felt like God was a formal God. You know, you had to cross yourself when you walked through the building, and it was a holy place, and it was just, there was this, this distance and this magnified separation, I think, that I felt. God just wants to snuggle up sometimes. He wants us to be close. That's why one of the names for God is Abba, literally Daddy. When you start calling God Daddy, it's hard not to want to snuggle up. It's hard not to want to be close. Submit. Seek, submit, resist. Snuggle up. <laughs> Come near. Draw close to the Father. I don't know about you, but those times when parents and children draw close, that's some of the best times. That's some of the special times. That's some of the times you have conversations about stuff that you don't normally have conversations about. It's the same with the, with the Father. When we come close to the Father, He comes close to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So come near 100%. Now these last two I like. Wash and purify. Wash means to cleanse. Purify means to clear from material defilement. Wow, that sounds... You know, what do we use to, to, to purify things with? We use alcohol, right? What else can you use to purify things with? Bleach, sunlight, UV light, right? Some forms of light are, have purification because they, they'll kill everything. What else? Fire. What did you say, Lorraine? Salt. Oh, it's hard to hear over the fans. And my daughter says I'm short of hearing too, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> it might be a little true, but the fans certainly don't help. 
to wash and to cleanse. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So part of coming before the Father, seeking Him, submitting to Him, resisting Satan, drawing close to Him, has got to involve a, a, a moment or some moments before the Lord where you confess to Him, here's my sin. Just call it what it is. We could say, here are my shortcomings. Here are my errors. Let's just call it sin. Here's my sin. Here's my sin, God. Forgive me of my sin. Wash it. Cleanse it. Purify it. Take it away. As far as east is from the west, forgive me. Remember it no more. All of those things that we can hear in Scripture about how God deals with sin. But we have to, we have to draw close. We have to submit. We have to resist Satan. We have to come near. Isn't it interesting... I don't know if we can necessarily read anything into this by the order in which they're presented, but I think James might be on to something. So I don't know about you. I kind of have had the habit in the past of going to the Lord first saying, I'm not worthy. Here's my sin. And you kind of muddle through all that. And after you muddle through all that, you kind of forget to get around to the snuggling up and the, the being close. James lists those things last. Isn't that interesting? He said, first seek the Father. First seek. Then submit. Resist state, Satan. Come near. Then wash and purify. <laughs> Maybe we need to reorient even the way we go to the Lord in prayer. I'm, I'm certain we probably need to do I'm certain we probably need to do that. I don't think you can say that. I'm certain we need to do that. The way we pray and the things we pray about and the way we go before the Lord in prayer needs to change. Go back to the Lord's Prayer for an example. What did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First thing you do in that directive order of prayer is praise God. I don't even think this morning, the three of us, we gathered in my office to pray. We prayed about the church. We prayed about individuals. We prayed about gospel conversations we've had in the community. We prayed about how today would go. I don't think we started out by saying, did you? Dave did. You praised God. So often we just jump to the, we, we, we cut to the chase. So God, I got something on my mind. I want to pray about it. Here it is. Da, 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 da. Or you go at it with, uh, I've sinned, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm no good, here's why you shouldn't listen to me, please forgive me. <laughs> we just go on. We need to reorient the way we think about prayer. Instead, we go to the Lord and we praise Him first. And we thank Him. You guys know the Lord's Prayer, probably a lot of you, maybe all of you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, so thy will be done as earth, on earth as it is in heaven. So first we praise God, then we, then we pray about His kingdom. What's first for you, God? Your kingdom be first. Your, your kingdom direction in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my church, in the life of this town, that your kingdom direction be first. And then what does he say? Forgive us, right? Forgive us this day. Well, no, give us this day our daily bread. I, I, I cut myself off in the middle and I can't do it out of order. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Okay, then you get to third thing. Third thing down the road, here, here's what I need. So often we go with the first. We lead with the, with the third chapter at the beginning. 
and then forgive us and help us to forgive others. That's last. Maybe James is right on here. Because what James says follows a similar order to what the Lord's Prayer is. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, that was what he said, here's how you pray, here's the order. So maybe James isn't so far off because he said, do these things first and then last purify, last wash. So this is like a bonus. I didn't even think about this this morning. This is like a, this is like a bonus message on the end of the message. Not only reorient the way we think about being close to God, but reorient about the way we even talk to Him in our time with Him. Paul says, but each one should be careful how he builds. Are you being careful? How are you building on the foundation of your salvation? Are you building it up with things that are going to be destroyed by fire? Wood, hay, stubble. <laughs> Burn it up. That's what that pastor always used to say. Are you building with things that will last? What he calls gold, silver, costly stones. But those are just, those are, those are metaphors. Those are, they, they're, they're pointing us to what are, are the things that are important to God. Are you building your life in his purposes? following His will, using your skills, abilities, resources for His glory? Are you having gospel conversations with people? Are you seeing friends, neighbors, family members, strangers come to faith in Jesus Christ? Those are the things that are going to glorify God in the end. When we come before Him and we, we bring the talents the money, well, it's not going to be money, right? It's going to be skills, ability, resources, time, our life. And we appear before him on the day, what Paul calls the day. And we say, Lord, here it is. You gave me this much. I made this much more for you and for your glory and for your kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter your master's happiness. Or are we going to walk up and we're going to say, I knew you were the kind of God who, you know, was kind of harsh with people, did stuff. You know, you harvested where you didn't plant. You, you, you reaped where you hadn't sown. And so I was, I was scared to use what I was given by you for you. So I used it for me instead because it was easier that way. It made me feel good. Or I just flat out buried it because I was afraid to use it because I didn't want to look stupid in front of other people. I was afraid if I invited somebody to church or uh, if I gave some money at church, I wouldn't have enough to live on. Or if I, if I studied the Bible, people would say, oh, he's a Bible thumper. Anybody ever call you a Bible thumper? There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I was afraid I'd look stupid, so I buried it. I hid it. I kept it out of sight. You wicked and foolish servant. Take what he has. Give it to the one who has more. Throw him out. You want to hear that at the end? I don't even know what that's going to look like. But it doesn't sound good. If you, I'm just going to say, it doesn't sound good. So today, 
before the Lord. In the witnesses of, of the writer of Matthew, of Paul, of James, of Jeremiah, who have said, seek God, submit to him. Resist Satan, come near, snuggle in, <laughs> get close. Wash and purify and recommit what you have to him today. It's never too late to start. You may sit down today before the Lord, take an honest look at the last 5 or 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and say, yeah, that's mostly wood, hay, stubble. That'll probably burn. That'll probably burn up. I have periods in my life I can look back on and say, wood, hay, stubble. That's all going to burn up. I have periods in my life I can look back on and say, hey, there's gold, silver, and costly stones. It's never too late to start today what these guys are talking about, what they're challenging us to do, to live radically. I love that word. It's different. Live differently, wholly, completely, and totally for God, using everything I have at every moment that I am given to glorify Him. That's what He's calling us to do. That's what He's calling this church to do. That's what He's calling each of us in here to do. To love Him and to serve Him and to honor Him and to bring Him glory for every moment of our life. But each one should be careful how He builds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as You have directed us in Your Word today to be careful how we build, I pray that 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 phrase, that verse will ring out in our head this week, all week, this month, this year. But each one should be careful how he builds, that it be a a constant reminder that what we do as followers of Christ is all about you and none about me. We're not here to make Sean great. We're not here to make Elmwood Park Bible Church, great. We're not here to make any of the people in this room great. But we're here to make you great. Lord, the sooner we grab onto that in unity as a body of Christ and move towards making you great, the sooner we will see what you see. Because, Lord, we know you can see what's ahead. We know that you're looking down the road to a preferred future for this church, for each of us, and for Elmwood Park. And we know you have a vision and a plan and a purpose. You haven't revealed all of it to us yet, Lord, but you're waiting on us to get our facts straight, to get our, our minds, our attitudes, and our hearts in alignment with yours. And part of the reason we don't know all of what's coming is because we haven't done enough of what we read about today. We haven't sought you enough. We haven't submitted to you wholly and completely. (coughs) We haven't resisted Satan like we should. We fall to his schemes. And we listen to his lies. Lord, we haven't snuggled up. We haven't come near. We haven't drawn close to you like we should. Maybe we've kind of held you 
at a distance as a, oh, an unapproachable God who's, who, who we can't snuggle up to, but you, you implore us to call you Abba, Father, Daddy. Lord, we haven't washed the way we should. We haven't been purified by your holiness the way we should be. Lord, today I I pray that each of us, where we're seated, confess before you that these things are true in our lives. Lord, we we haven't sought you. We haven't submitted to you. The quality of our, of our following, of our discipleness before you has been weak. You're calling us to put that wood, hay, and stubble behind us and begin building thoughtfully, cautiously, carefully upon the foundation you have laid in our salvation something great to happen in this church and in this community according to your will and for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you give us kingdom minds. I pray that you help us to stop having small thoughts and small visions. That we not be afraid like that one wicked servant who buried his talents and his resources and abilities because he was afraid of the master and what the master might do if he failed. It would be interesting, Lord, to know what what would the story look like if the the, the guy with the one talent spent it and and like lost it, came back and said, Master, I, I tried really hard, but I came back with nothing. I, I don't know what's it would be interesting to know what the outcome of that story would be. Lord, let let us never be afraid. Let us never be found fearful in acting according to your goodwill and your name and for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, wash us today. Cleanse us. Forgive us. You're a good God. You're a holy God. You're an awesome God. All the things that we sing about, Lord, are true and so much more than we could possibly think or say or imagine or utter. All of those good things about you are true. For some reason, you want to bring us back to you and you want us to be usable for you in spreading the word of your gospel. And to do that, Lord, you have to do this work in us. So today, Lord, I ask on my behalf, on, and I pray with anyone else who will pray with me in agreement that you do that in our lives. Wash us and cleanse us. Give us a sense of your presence, your direction, and your guidance. Lord, I submit to you today. I pray all over the room, everybody's praying the same thing. Lord, we submit to you today. Teach us what it means to submit to you daily. Lord, I submit to you today my will, my way, my plans, my purposes, my thoughts. I want to have your mind. The mind of Christ is what Paul called that. Lord, give us that mind. Give us your eyes to see, your heart to, to feel. Lord, I pray that you continue to show us your direction 
as you prepare our hearts and you change our directions. You teach us to ask the right questions. I pray, Lord, we'll be found usable in your hands and that you will do great things for your kingdom through us in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.